Welcome to the Workshop Review Podcast, the only podcast that gives tools away. This is episode number six for February 20th, 2019. I'm your host, Brian. The other host, Brandon, sitting over there. Say hi to everybody, Brandon. Yellow there. That'll work. And, and, on, to, <laughs> and on today's episode, we're talking about buying lumber. You know, if you're a woodworker, you got to do it, and you might as well be informed. If you've never done it before, this episode is going to help you out. So uh, let's start out uh, again, just real quick, uh, talk about Patreon. Um, it's a great way to support what we're doing. Head over to patreon.com slash workshop review. And if you are in the tier where you can uh, win some swag from the the companies that we're giving away products from, uh, this month you can uh, win a t-shirt from Lake Erie Toolworks. So uh, just one of the, the benefits we try to provide when it's available. Uh, Lake Erie Toolworks was nice enough to uh, participate in that. So if you're a patron at, a, I believe it's a $5 a month level, uh, you can be entered into uh, winning a t-shirt from Lake Erie Toolworks, in addition to the giveaway for the Moxon Vice. So go check that stuff out. Thanks, All Lake right. Erie. Yes, that, thank that you. was all cool guys. Them. They yeah, are. they're cool guys. Yeah. Um, so, so Brandon, at the top of this show, I figure we should go ahead and just start with this. We would like to pay tribute to an era that has now come to an end. For it those has. of you that have not heard the sad news that Woodtalk has officially ended for real it this has. time. Yeah, for real. They actually quit. Yes. Yeah. So, no more wood talk, which means y'all need to come over here and listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, wood it talk was, was like the first woodworking podcast that I yeah. religiously listened to. I mean, and I, I I still do. Well, not anymore, but uh, you know, I, I always looked for it. And when they went on their breaks, I was always kind of pissed off about it because it wasn't showing up on my feed every week. Yeah. Uh, it's gonna be missed. It's gonna be missed. Now, they may not have been the first. They definitely aren't the last, but they were almost like the pioneers of of the format that everybody has come to love. So to see that go away, uh, it it makes me sad. Though I understand it. You know, they're all very busy. Uh, They're all fairly popular, too. Um, So they have a lot of their their own uh, solo career stuff going on as well. And not to mention, you know, there's kids and you know more time they can have to spend with the kids the better so i get it completely yeah yeah, yeah for sure absolutely in fact work but i'm i'm waiting no just kidding just kidding. we're not quitting yeah no not yet <laughs> we're only 6 episodes in i mean yeah that would be that would be bad so we're just starting mark shannon matt and matt and matt we 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 fid you, we bid you a farewell yeah, and thank the, you. Yeah. 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 Looking forward to seeing what you guys do in the future. Uh, just apparently I won't be listening to it. So there you go. So, Brandon. Yes, sir. Did you get any shop time this week? I came home on Friday from my trip. Uh, and no. Now I'm, I, I spent the weekend with, with my kid and my wife. And uh, now I'm playing catch up from from work because the business trip I was on ate up a lot of my time. 
As one would, I imagine. A business trip, that is. Yeah. So how about yourself? Uh, well, so, um, it's been kind of a strange week for me. Um, I'm still waiting on that decorative metal stuff for the bar cart. So unfortunately I am literally at the point now where I cannot do a single thing else without that metal. Um, it's integrated into the frame and panel sides of the thing and it's integrated into the frame and panel doors in the front of it. And I just can't do any more until I get that. It's an order of operations thing, you know, like you got to put the parts together before we can assemble the thing. And I can't put the parts together until I get this metal. So I stopped over at the restaurant last week, must have been Tuesday or Wednesday, and sat down and talked with them. And um, at that point, they hadn't ordered it. I think I think the problem is they know what they want, like in their head, but they're just having a hard time finding it. So I sat down with them and we found something that hopefully... Uh, will work for them and hopefully they've ordered it so I can start working on this thing again because it's huge, you know, and it's in my shop and it's right now it's just a bunch of pieces and I can't really do a whole lot of anything else because I've got these huge plywood pieces everywhere. So hopefully I get that stuff soon. Um, I repaired the chairs. If you remember last week we were talking about these chairs that a buddy of mine had asked me to fix. Um, Mm-hmm. So these chairs were actually kind of interesting. Um, they came apart easier than any chair I've ever tried to take apart in my life. Um, the way the bases were attached to the tops or the bottoms of the seats, um, you know, it's got your usual round tenon on the top of the leg and it goes into a round mortise. And they also drove a screw into it, sort of like a like carpentry type thing they toenailed a screw into it which is kind of weird but i am convinced that that screw is the only thing that was holding these chairs together because when i pulled the screws out originally i was just going to flood these joints with epoxy because i thought well there's no way i'm going to be able to pull these out without uh exerting a lot of effort and you know he didn't really want me to exert a lot of effort he just wanted them to work for another year or two but i pulled these screws out and the bases were so loose with just like a minute of wiggling, they all popped right out. So um, I glued them the right way. I didn't do any actual woodworking fix, but I put epoxy into the mortises and I put epoxy onto the tenons and I glued it back together the right way instead of just trying to seep epoxy into the joints. Um, mm, which which epoxy did you use? Total Boat. Mm. And? The, the two-in-one uh, slow hardener. And they are rock solid, baby. Um, so we're we're good to go on the chairs. And I finally, after looking at these chairs, have decided what kind of chairs I want to build for my dining table. Oh. Over, the, over, over the summer last year, I built this enormous dining table. And I've been kind of racking my brain for a while about chairs. And I'm going to build Maloof-style dining chairs. Sort of like what uh, Paul Leminski at Canadian Woodworks does. I'm going to build six of them. Yeah. You know, um, do you follow uh, the Alabama Woodworker? Uh, I think so. I've definitely seen his stuff on Instagram. I can only imagine that I do. Recently, like within the past week, week and a half, he 
was doing that very same thing. He was batching out a whole series of of chairs, and I believe that they were Muluth style. Um, and, but he also went through all of the jigs that he made to to pump these out. Right. Um, it was pretty impressive. It was a lot of jigs, probably a lot more jigs than I would think uh, think to make, but want to have. <laughs> right. So a um, Maloof style rocker, a sculpted rocker is like mm-hmm. one of my bucket list builds. It's something that I want to build at some point. I have no use for an enormous rocking chair. I just want to make one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that these chairs might be a good introduction to that. Great and segue. perhaps I might even be able to use some of the same jigs if I design them correctly. So uh, that's kind of my, my plan there. I'll get in my toes wet on the sculpted side of things in preparation for building a rocker at some point. I'm not going to lie. I've been thinking about batching out chairs like that too. Oh, really? Yeah. Although my timeline is far different than yours. <laughs> well, let's they're... say I'm, I'm, I might be start. I might be thinking about starting those in June. Well, yeah, I'm not entirely sure I'll get to mine before June either. I have oh. some other stuff to build. Um, the lady of the house needs a chest of drawers, which when I built my bedroom set, that was going to be the next thing on my list mm-hmm. uh, to build because I did the bed and the nightstands and then I was going to do the curved front chest of drawers, but then had to build a dining table and then commissions and you know how it is when you build stuff for yourself. It always takes a back seat. So I do need to get that built first uh, because she needs a chest of drawers. Um, and then there were a couple other things that she wanted to, but I think maybe the chairs will come before those. I'm not entirely sure, but there's some other stuff in the shop. I got to get finished up first. So it's not like tomorrow this is going to happen or anything like that. Right. Right. Well, I mean, that's still at least a a good direction. Yeah. And then I've been kind of thinking I might want to get back into instrument building. I've been, uh, it would be really nice to see that guitar finished. Yeah, I've I've been playing my guitars a lot more lately, uh, and I'm kind of getting the bug to finish that guitar. And then I think I've got a couple friends who play guitar too, and I was thinking about maybe just building a couple more and giving them away to those guys and see what they think. And then, you know, if they're not awful... Uh, Maybe maybe building more. I don't know. That's have you something done, that's been on my mind. Have you done the mandolin or anything? No. The only actual instrument that I've done is the one that I started that I haven't finished. Um, that would so, not be not be mentioned again. Yeah, it's it's been I think it's been like five years. And I really only need like a solid week of work left to finish it. Um but part of the reason that I haven't finished it is, uh, you know, honestly, I'm a little frightened. Um, I built an acoustic guitar completely from scratch. I just started with rough lumber, literally made everything. I made the neck. I made all the bracing. Uh, I did solid wood binding. It's not going to be like a pretty guitar by any means, but it should sound good and feel good, which I is really... It's pretty. Well, it's not ornate. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, but really, as long as it sounds good and it feels good, that's what's important. And I'm really, really worried that it 
won't sound good. So far, it feels good. Like, it feels right. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm just really worried about how it'll sound because the, <laughs> the bracing and stuff, you have to, like, hand scallop it and hand carve it. And that's really where a lot of the tones come from. Right. And, you know, I've never done that before. I was just kind of going off the plans. So I don't know. That's really been my my stumbling block there is just, you know, you put in a whole bunch of work and then it just sounds like crap. You so, know, that that is actually uh, what led me to your channel. The guitar. Many moons ago. Yeah, that was quite a while ago, buddy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it wasn't necessarily when you posted it, but it was many moons ago that I that I got that. That's how I found you. Oh, well, there you go. Maybe someday yeah. I'll finish it for you. Maybe. I mean, right now, I think it's a great discussion piece. <laughs> Until it's Conversation finished, right? piece, sorry. Um, you know, and I've always wanted to to, to build an instrument as well. Um, I just haven't, you know. Hmm. Maybe someday, but right now I'm, I'm pretty good at being pretty mediocre at what I, what I do do. So <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, let, let's hone that a little bit, then we'll, then we'll talk. <laughs> I think maybe you should give yourself a little more credit there. Mm. Um, but actually, the guy who I repaired the chairs for, uh, he plays guitar too, and he came over to the shop to drop off the chairs, and I showed him, you know, what I have done on it anyways. And, uh, you know, he picked it up and he held it, and he said, this is a J45. If you know anything about guitars, a J45 is a Gibson acoustic guitar. Uh, it's pretty uh, distinctive. Uh, with a, it's a slope shoulder dreadnought getting into technical stuff. Anyways, I built it to be, uh, a copy of a J45. It's J45 plans. And he picked it up and he was like, this is a J45. I was like, yes, it is. I'm really glad that you were able to tell that. <laughs> so I'm, I'm at least on the right track with like, you know, the appropriate body shape and the neck radius and all that stuff. So a little validation there. And that kind of is what got my mind thinking about it again right yeah well i'm it's all a journey it is now did you post pictures of those chairs no 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 i no was there not a worthy before or after you were just fixing the structural integrity yeah i mean literally i just popped the bases off put glue in and put them back on that's all i did well then never mind i don't want to see it Well, you're not gonna, have you so. have you gotten the the hardware for the fretboard? Uh, yeah, it's partially fretted. Um, the reason I stopped is I ran out of fret wire. I didn't buy enough fret wire. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I had, but I didn't, and I needed to order more fret wire, and I just never did. You know, I always thought it was interesting that Grizzly actually stocks a whole series of of luthier supplies do the owner or the president or something is a luthier he's built Uh, some really really pretty guitars yeah i always thought that was that was pretty cool that uh that they had that yeah absolutely yeah so brandon yeah what are we talking about this week today this week and today we're talking about purchasing wood. This is a topic that I'm sure many have heard on other podcasts. However, we here at the Workshop Review like to keep it a little different. 
If you haven't noticed, if you are a hobbyist woodworker, there seems to be a large uptick in people selling wood, whether it be on social mm-hmm. media or classified ads or on the side of the street. And with that comes the risk. You know, oh, hell, you could yeah. buy a whole bunch of wood that is in somebody's a 53-foot trailer in their backyard. You could. So, supposedly killed and dried and bug-free. But what do you need to look for? Because now you have all these sources of wood coming from all these places that people claim, claim that they are good to go. So, Well, well let's be, before we get into the perils of it, let's just very, very quickly go through a normal, if you go to a lumber yard, transaction. Like how that works. I going to start. Oh, gee. Fantastic. Yes. So you can start at lumber yards, which is a fantastic way to get acquainted with with the the process and the method of buying wood. And honestly, Uh, it's probably the best way. It is the safest way. It is also the least likely way I would ever do it. (laughs) <laughs> oh, not me. Yes, not and I me. will. I will discuss that. I, that is completely by preference. Um, so you go into to a lumber yard, and most likely you will walk in and see stacks upon stacks of dimensional cut lumber by category, maybe even by size. By species, by size, uh, they'll be all organized. You know, and if if you're if you've looked into buying lumber at all, I'm sure you've watched a lot of the videos on on how to to shop the the yard. Uh, and that's where where it gets tricky. Is most of these lumber yards are looking to sell in in bulk to to other manufacturers or or shops. Other well, wholesalers. They're yeah, wholesalers. they're not yeah. necessarily there to cater to the hobbyist. So the best process is to dig through and get exactly what you want so that you can get, you know, your money's worth because you're going to go in there and you're buying it per board foot, uh, you know, so if there's any blemish or, or anything that, that may throw off your project, you don't want that board because you're paying for that board foot. So uh, let's, let's back up one second. You, you had mentioned digging through piles. Yes. The, and the I number- mentioned piles. The number one rule at a lumberyard, if you're going to dig through their stacks, is restack it when you're done. Yes. It's best if you can actually get somebody to walk the yard with you and help you unstack and restack. One, for safety, and two, then they can help you find things or ensure that you are keeping them happy. True. If you can't, then you just have to be polite about it. You know, you just got to think, this isn't my backyard. Let's leave it better than, than how I found it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So an- another thing that you said that kind of piqued my attention. Uh, resonated you, with you. Yeah. You said when you, when you go to a lumberyard, you see stacks of dimensionally milled lumber. So are you talking like S4S? Um, <clears throat> well... So, depending on where you are in the country, and if you're in a metropolitan area, you can find lumber yards that are S4S or are just rough cut but dimensional. 
um, when I lived in Nashville, there was far more lumber yards that had stuff in a dimensional fashion than, I mean, they would carry a couple of slabs here and there, which, which was okay. Um, but everything was mostly S4S. Uh, okay. I, See, I have a completely different experience. So why don't you continue with yours and then I'll talk about mine. Well, that was, that was pretty much it. So in my, that, that's, those are, those are the, the, that's the overall stroke of, of going to a yard that primarily sells S4S or even just dimensionally cut lumber in, in general. If you happen to go to a mill that is all slabs on the other hand, which is what I prefer. Um, and when, why I said I probably would not go to, to a yard, um, you are still paying per, per the board foot. However, I think I feel you get uh, a, a bit more of your money's worth out of out of a whole slab. Um, and if you're like me, I like to to cut everything down to dimension myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, when you are going to a mill, which which was is typically with this this form of yard is a mill it's somebody milling it themselves um most of the time you're gonna find that it's been air dried uh and in varying uh states of of quality uh they may have taken some inside and planed them or they may have you know pre-cut some off or or this and that It, it 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 completely varies but you you can be sure that they're gonna have just about anything that you need it's just not going to look all that pretty when you're walking the yard. So my experience going to a lumber yard is, is quite different than yours. Um, I used to frequent one particular yard when I lived in Maryland. It's called the Hicksville Planing Mill. If you're in like the Frederick, Maryland or Columbia, Maryland or Hagerstown area, uh, look them up. It's a great place to go buy lumber. And I really, really wish that I had a place like that here. Uh, their prices were awesome, super nice guys. And they had a great, great selection. Hicksville planing mill. It's run by a bunch of like Amish or Mennonite guys. So there's no website or anything. You just got to oh, call well, them, that call says them it on right the phone. There. So when you go there, everything is in the rough. Um, but it's not slabs. So, you know, when the, the trees were milled, they cut the boards out of it and they cut all the live edges off of it. So within a stack of cherry or walnut or whatever, you would have varying widths and varying lengths. But I mean, the lengths were generally, you know, if it was an eight foot stack, they were all at least eight foot, maybe eight and a half foot, you know, not, not less than eight foot, but not nine foot either somewhere in the eight foot range. And they were rough on all edges. So that's how I've always bought my lumber. Um, so you but, go in there, you know, you go in there, you might have a six inch wide board. You might have a 10 inch wide board. You might have a 14 inch wide board. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's 14 inches wide the entire length of it either. So um, you go in there and you, you pick out your lumber. And if uh, you don't necessarily have the milling tools to, to mill this lumber, uh, they'll usually do it for you for a fee, uh, per board foot. This particular place was 10 cents a board foot to, um, 
uh, I would have them skip plane it and put a straight edge on it for me um, for 10 cents a board foot, which was well worth it because at the time I was working with a lunchbox planer and a jointer with really short beds or tables on it. So I would always have them skip plane it and put a straight edge on it for me too, because it just saved a whole bunch of work. But, uh, you know, same thing. You go in there and you say, Hey, I need, you know, 200 board feet of walnut. I need them this thick. They would go out there with their fork truck. They'd bring you the, the four quarter stack and the eight quarter stack, you know, depending on what you need. And you pick through them and you put them on your little cart and then they put the stack back and, you know, you restack it for them and all that stuff. And then you go pay. But the nice thing about that is uh, usually in a mill, it's, at least in my experience, almost always kiln dried. I've never been to a mill where it's air dried lumber. Not a, you know, like a volume business type place anyways. Um, and because of that, you're going to be assured that the lumber meets certain specifications it's been graded uh any bugs that could have possibly been it been in it are at least dead um and uh you know you you really don't have to worry about a whole lot you just go pick your wood and and be done with it and you start building stuff with it right yeah so the the interesting point you may have made was that it was an Amish run mill. Yeah. Uh, and and I was definitely thinking more of commercial mill, not saying that the Amish aren't necessarily commercial. However, well this was um, a commercial mill. Right. That's that's what it sounds like. So you you definitely have the varying types of mills. You have your your or yards, your lumber yards, which actually you you have even more types now that I think about it. You have your your S4S mills, which primarily carry uh, surfaced, ready-to-go, kiln-dried. Uh, and those are the ones I tend to stay away from because you are going to pay through the nose uh, for everything. everything. And you're paying for the sawdust. When, yes. they mill, when they mill that board, that four-quarter board, down to three-quarters of an inch thick, you're still paying for that quarter inch that's sawdust Absolutely. on the floor. Yeah, uh, And those are the yards I stay away from. You you have uh, your, your rough rough sawn mills like Brian had mentioned, which, uh, are, are not uncommon. Um, you know, I don't know that I have actually ever been to one where the rough sawn mills were all kiln dried, but that could just be something I didn't ask because I found a slab mill and that's where I stuck <laughs> when I was going well, to mills. Yeah. Um, this, this place didn't mill the lumber themselves. They, Oh, had it, they okay. ordered it and had it trucked in, and okay. then they sold it. So then you have your your slab mills, which tend to be all air dry out in out in the yard, quite literally the yard. Um, which those are becoming a little bit more common, and all of a sudden, what you have out there that is getting real common is barn wood. Mills oh, yeah. or stores, I guess. I don't even know what to call them. Yards, uh, stores, where they um, take apart barns or barn wood and get it and then jack the price way up on it because people really like uh, distressed-looking old wood. Well, you know, part of that price is the cost of taking Absolutely. down the barn. Absolutely, you know? yes. It's certainly uh, harder to get than slabbing up a tree. And part of it is is demand, uh, for sure. Yeah. 
uh, which is, I mean, I get it. That's great. Um, for sure. That's awesome. So those are the, the larger mills, yards and, and shops that, that have been around for a little while. Some of them getting newer. Some of them have been around for years and years to come or past. Uh, well, there's, now, there's one, there's one other type. Oh, there's another type. And this is strictly the wholesale yard. Well, like, right. um, yeah. like Jay Gibson McIlvain in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in Maryland. Uh, it's where Shannon Rogers works, the Renaissance woodworker. Um, they are, a whole, so they have a minimum board foot that you have to buy. Um, you can't really go in and like pick through the lumber. You order it, um, and they deliver it to you on a truck. So there are there are places like that as well. However, like I said, you do have to conform to like a minimum board foot. Right. Just worth mentioning. And I mean, yeah, and that's the kind of place you tell them the number you want, and they deliver it. You don't pick through the stack. Right. Yeah. So uh, there's those. And now uh, you're also finding the hobbyist miller uh, as well as just seller. So obviously bandsaw mills have become all the rage. uh, And, you know, honestly, the introductory price to some of them, whether it be the Harbor Freight one or uh, Northern Tool or even some Hudson's, you know, they're really cost effective um they'll they'll slap you can can get a decent mill for five thousand or less oh yeah absolutely even a chainsaw mill i mean you could even go alaskan on it um but that leads people to sell boards and wood themselves and And this takes me back to a story yeah so before you get into your story that's where that's where you got to be careful because right. if you're if you're buying lumber from like a hobbyist miller, you don't know for sure that the the boards have been dried properly. You don't know that they were put on a level base to begin with. You don't know about uh, tension wood. You're gonna you're gonna you can find tension wood in even you know the 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 large yards and stuff. But I would imagine you know uh, they're drying wood is a science. Like you got to do it right. Otherwise, you're gonna have problems later down the road and we're not saying that all hobbyists don't know how to dry wood no no of course not but we're going to clue you in on a couple of things to look out for because there is a large growing rate of people that really aren't doing it right you just want to ask more questions (laughs) yes so a few stories actually (laughs) now i think about it back when i was down in nashville i went to get a bunch of cherry for my son's dressers uh, and changing table at the time. Um, so I went out to this guy, he had just piles of walnut and cherry and they were beautiful. And, you know, he was like, they've been sitting here for, you know, six to eight months. They're most certainly dry. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, you know, these were all milled to dimension, rough dimension. I mean, they were all rough, but, uh, they were just sitting air drying in in a pole barn, uh, one that probably didn't really have much much airflow. But <clears throat> either way, at that time I was still pretty new to the the concept of buying lumber off of people, uh, and uh, was open for the opportunity to be burned. 
So needless to say, I went home and milled it and glued it up and it all moved. It all moved uh-huh. a lot because it, then I went and measured uh, some of the boards that I had not milled and it was all still fairly wet, you know, uh, which was quite disheartening. By measure, you mean with a moisture meter? With a moisture meter. And uh, it's a very good thing to have. Yes. So lesson number one, and probably one of the most common things that you're going to find with people that post ads about selling lumber is that it you need to take a moisture meter with you. If you don't have one, get one. Even the little two-prong uh, one they sell at the box stores, something to at least give you an idea of how long that board's been sitting. Yeah, absolutely. They're well worth the investment. That's yeah. what I have. I just have a, a, a two-prong one. Um, the problem with those is that you really you have a hard time determining the moisture content in the center of the board. You get a good reading on, you know, the face and maybe a couple millimeters down, but not uh, not so much the center of the board. Correct. Yeah. Uh, however, it at least, you know, it, so my my rule of thumb is to try to, to stab it in a couple of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, most certainly the end grain uh in the middle of the end grain on either end uh because one that's the most accessible place to the middle and two if it reads that it has moisture up there on the end then you know the middle is just sopping not necessarily sopping but you know it's going to be wetter so if you can get a good reading on the end grain then you know you're you're pretty good to carry on to try to Good a measuring of, of down in, in the heartwood or or further in on the board. That's very true because that is where most of the moisture leaves a board. It, it leaves through right. the end grain. Right. So that was one instance. Uh, an, another instance came uh, actually when we moved up here. I found a guy that had that was posting walnut on on one of the social media sites. And, and and here's how you can normally tell when it's when it's a hobbyist that may or may not know exactly what what's going on is that they're pricing per slab and not per board foot. Um, now, part of me goes, well, that's at least a simple way of looking at it. But then the other part of me goes, well, are they not pricing it per board foot because they don't really know how any of that works and if they don't know how that works do they actually know how to dry it and you know and hang it or whatever so turns out my theory was correct wait hang it <laughs> not hang it stack what do you what do you mean hang it? Oh, i was gonna say i don't know about stack. you but i'm not i'm not putting my lumber out on my clothesline or anything no i hang it that's what I do all the time <laughs> all the time but no stacking so I go out there to, to see this, this fellow with the, with the walnut and he is an arborist and I'm not going to lie. Using the term arborist is probably uh, a, a little generous. He's a, he's a guy that cuts down trees in, in, in the roughest way possible, but he has the Northern tool mill 
and he slabs up the wood that he cuts down out of people's yards. And I get there and I notice that he has a 15 inch planer outside in a lumber storage area where half of the lumber is stacked vertically against the wall and half of it is just piled up in the, in the middle of the room. And I, I quickly realized that what he was doing, because I got to see some of it, was that he was kind of skip planing without actually skip planing. Uh, they were just ramming it through the 15-inch planer to, to try to get one side to look nice. So half of his boards were... But they weren't evenly thick throughout the entire thing. <laughs> let's just mm. let's put it that way. So that was the beginning. Um, and then you walk in and and again, it was the well, these have been sitting here for four or five months. They're most certainly dry. But this time I had brought my moisture meter with me. So I um I knew where they were at. Uh they, he did have them stacked and stickered pretty well, which was which was good. But then I um, I took them home and and restacked them and let them sit for a couple more months until they were until they were ready. Actually dry. Until they were actually dry. Um, and uh, yeah, but these were you know rough cut slabs. But that again is a situation where uh, you know a hobbyist sees the ability to to cut these up and and just turn around and sell them and make money off of the back end as well which he made very <clears throat> rustic looking furniture so um you know it, it not being perfectly thick and and all that really didn't matter to him either so there's a little bit of that Super nice guy, though, which, you know, is, is unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked about the moisture part of it. If you're going to be buying from, you know, some guy in his backyard slabbing up wood. Mm-hmm. What are some what are some other pitfalls? Well, we talked about the moisture and improper stacking. Well, um, I would love it if you maybe discussed uh, bugs. I unfortunately have a lot of experience with bugs. I thought you might. Um, yeah, it, it it's very, very unfortunate. Um, so I guess about two years ago, uh, when I moved into this shop, I came across a lady who had um, several semi-truck trailers full of lumber. And um, the reason she was selling it, it was, her, it was her husband's. He had passed away. He was uh, getting into woodworking. Uh, he actually had, like a phenomenally outfitted shop with just industrial sized tools. Um, the kind of stuff that would make Jimmy DeResta drool. And, um, yeah. So I, I bought some of this lumber from her and I knew in advance that some of it had bug damage. Um, the way I found her was I was calling other lumber yards and I wanted to buy a, a jointer. So I was asking them, you know, anybody who's selling a jointer, and he said, well, yeah, I do. And this lady also has a bunch of wood. She tried to sell it to this yard, and they wouldn't buy it because of the bug damage. 
Um, it'd been sitting in these trailers for 15, 20 years. It was all air dried. None of it had been kiln dried. Um, and I mean, they were right. There was definitely bug damage. You could see like little powder post beetle pinholes in it. And so I asked her, I said, well, what, what have you done to get rid of the bugs? And she said, well, they've been, they've been fumigated and, um, uh, you know, they, they should be good to go. They were all stacked and stickered properly. So there was plenty of airflow. The, like there was no reason that, um, the treatment wouldn't have worked. You know what I mean? Looking at it. So I said, well, okay, I'll buy it and I'll just cut out the bug damage or I'll work around it or, you know, make it a feature or, or whatever. So I got a really, really good deal on a lot of lumber. But now that I'm like working with it and stuff, uh, it was more of a pain than anything, really. I've gone through so much epoxy, like filling bug damage and stuff. And what I realized just very recently was not all the bugs are dead. Uh, I am seeing active powder post beetles like coming out of the wood. So, um, in my experience, or if you want my opinion, if it's got bug damage, don't buy it. Just walk away. doesn't matter how good of a deal you get, because now what I have to do is go through my stacks, restack them, apply another treatment to them, and it'll, it'll kill the bugs, hopefully, um, but now, you know, when I go cutting through my wood and stuff, I'm going to have dead bugs in it. And that sucks. So what are you using for treatment? Boracare. It's, um, the, I guess, best rated industry used product for killing bugs. And it's an actual spray you spray onto the boards, um, I'm not looking forward to doing it. I haven't done it yet. But so I have you have to. you looked into anything with that? Like, are you anticipating it staining the wood at all, or or doing anything with the the color or clarity of the wood? It does not. Um, I have used it on a project. Uh, I just treated the boards that I was using for this particular project, and I treated them after they were milled and actually assembled. Uh, it was these nightstands I just recently did. Um, I discovered the powder post beetles while I was building those. And this wood came from the wood that I saw the, the active infestation in. And I was like, oh, man. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of damage in this wood that I built these nightstands out of. Uh, actually, very little now that I'm thinking about it. But I, I mixed up some of the board care and I applied it to to the to the nightstands actually as they were assembled um and it didn't stain them at all um you raised the grain so i had to go back and sand them but um no there were absolutely no like adverse effects to it at all regarding the wood so before i had moved and i was cutting lumber and, and stacking it and stickering it something that i did um just because of the area i was stacking it um, I don't know if anybody – well, I'll speak to it anyway. Tennessee is is super humid and super buggy, like ungodly buggy. Um, 
So something that I used was I use like one of those home shield type products that you spray around the exterior of your home to keep bugs away from coming in. And I sure. would just I would just douse the the ground, the cinder blocks, and the first couple of slabs with with that in the bottom to try to keep them out after fresh cut. Um, I didn't go quite as far as ever doing a bora, a bora, but I also learned this the hard way because I stacked some some chestnut and you know. Chestnut happens to be one of those species that like definitely attracts uh, critters big time. And mm. I think within a month, I walked out there and there was just there was little uh, uh, chew marks and and little piles of sawdust all over the place. You know what you do with that wood, don't you? You burn it. You burn it. You burn it. And that's what I did. So yeah. So listeners, beware if you are inspecting wood to buy and you happen to see either pinholes or little piles of sawdust in general. Run away. Walk away. Run away. Whatever you want to do. And you really have to look. Like if you don't see the sawdust piles, that doesn't mean there aren't bugs in there. So, um, and and when we're talking about pinholes, that's what you want to look for. And it's going to be towards the, the the sapwood. They don't tend to get mm-hmm. into the heartwood. They can, but they don't tend to. Um, and they're just little pencil lead sized holes. You might only see like two or three of them or something, but that's enough. That is enough to have tons and tons of bugs in your wood. Um, so if you if you come across rough sawn lumber and you see a couple of these little pinholes or you, you see them on several boards or something run away do not Alt- do not buy that wood <laughs> alternatively uh if you are not if this is if not just rough sawn but if this is actual slabs and you're able to peel back a piece of bark if you are not trying to use the bark in your project uh what is right under the bark will be a telltale sign of what is in that board because yeah, you can... bugs will congregate through that because that's the sweetest, youngest sapwood. And it's the softest. So, if yep. you, yeah, exactly. If you peel back that bark and you see lines, like track marks through it, and you've got bugs in that wood. Mm-hmm. Or, or at least there were bugs in the wood. And um, it's just, in my opinion, it's, not, it's just not worth the gamble. Now... I do a lot with slabs, and I love spalted wood. Spalted wood, though, comes from fungus, fungus among us, sometimes brought in by bugs, sometimes, you know, carried up through the tree, through the minerals, you know, all sorts of of different uh, ways of, of getting into the wood. The Well, true spalting isn't from a bug. It's from... No, it's, it's from gets, fungus. Yeah. 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 But... The the staining would would happen from from various critters. So the the problem with with spalted wood, for instance, is the is it is uh, how can I say this? It it, it is a little um, unstable. <laughs> we'll put it if, that way. If it's too spalted, right? It yeah. can be beautiful, but it can also be a little unstable. I've, uh, I've discovered a fine line with spalting. Um, some of the wood that I have is also spalted, and some of it's heavily spalted. That spalted wood will move a lot more than 
non-spalted wood. So that's something to keep in mind as well. And it needs to be dried out exceedingly yeah. well because part of what occurred with the spalting is that because it was in a damp location or or uh, wet, essentially. So it can get punky really quick. So there is a, a method for, I want to say, almost curing spalted wood as well as it would also work if you feel as though you may have bugs and you still need or want to use that board. Uh, and that primarily is heat. Um, if, you know, not everybody can make a kiln or, or you know, uh, take it somewhere or, or do a solar kiln even. So a, a great method of, of, of doing it is to get Visqueen from your home store and you're going to wrap it in Visqueen. And you want to try to get it in a place that it can be airtight and and get hot. So, so what is Visqueen? I've never heard of this. It's plastic. Okay. Plastic. Um, it's best if you could actually, you know, make, you know, you could just kind of make your own little board kiln, uh, which, which would be basically plastic around uh, a short frame. And what you want to do is, is get like a space heater and, and a fan and just blast it with hot air because you need to kill what's inside of it and you need to dry it out. So usually, at least based on my research, in order to kill bugs, you need to have, a, uh, I believe it's a minimum of either 120 or 140 degrees for like seven days. I believe it is, yeah, I think it's the higher side there. Um, yeah, so there, you know, if you don't want to leave a space heater running, they actually make a thermostat-controlled outlet, which would oh, be, I think, cool. my preferred method. It's not terribly expensive, but essentially what you will do is you would you would put in like a heat lamp or even just you know, a couple of regular lights, but you would have this thermostat controlled outlet in, in your little enclosure, uh, to, to heat up that space. Um, and, and what's kind of cool is that like, if this is something that you're going to be working with a lot, like, and something you need to be able to combat, or if you, you know, want to just make a mini kiln, you, you could literally make this like underneath a workbench. You know, yeah, your your only your only variable is the length of boards in which you you need to to do this with. So you know, it doesn't have to necessarily eat up a whole lot of room, but it would be a great way of of helping secure the the wood that might have misfortune in it. So, is there anything else that you can think of that people need to look for? When buying lumber, especially from a, you know, just a dude in his backyard. If you go, if you go to a lumber yard, like a, like a wholesaler or, um, you know, an actual lumber yard, you're not going to have bugs there because there's no way they're going to let bugs get into their lumber yard where, you know, they've got thousands and thousands of board feet of wood that can potentially get ruined. You're, I'd say you're like 99% safe, but some dude in the backyard you know, not so much. What, uh, is there anything else that you can think of that, you know, you need to, you need to think about or worry about 
We yes. talked about moisture. We talked about stacking. We talked about bugs. What else you got? So the the last and final thing, which we touched on slightly, was if you are finding people that are, quote, selling it by the slab, you know, 100 bucks a slab and up. That's typically the, the catch and up. Go there educated with board foot. Measure the, the board feet of those slabs and see what kind of deal you're actually getting. Because they're pricing it off of what they think is going to be fast and easy, most likely, and not the board foot actually associated in that slab. Now, it very well could work out that you're getting a $100 walnut slab that would normally be 150 200 Or it could also go the opposite direction, too. You know, you could be getting... A poplar slab for a hundred bucks when it really should have been more like 60. So Um, there is something to consider when buying slabs. They are mostly just because of the demand and the whole live edge thing that everybody wants. Now you will find them priced differently. Um, even, even at larger lumber yards, uh, like you go to, or even like a rockler or or a woodcraft, you go in there and you buy a live edge slab. It's not going to be board foot priced. It's going to be priced based on, hey, look at this awesome slab that you can make a table out of. You know what I mean? It is more of a niche thing. It's actually kind of like the way walnut is graded. Walnut is graded differently than every other type of wood because it's such a crappy growing tree. Um, You know, a slab, because of the way the market is now, very well could be priced by the slab and not by board foot. But... You know, if you do the calculation like you're talking about, you can see just how much more they're charging you for absolutely a slab over the board foot price, and you can determine whether or not that's worth it. But I don't think that that's something that's entirely uncommon that you would run into just slabs being priced by the slab as opposed to board foot. Uh, so most of the slab mills that I've been to were were board foot driven, um, or at least at least roughly. I mean, there is that's some good. fluctuation. Yeah, there is some fluctuation in uh, in appearance. You know, uh, if it's you can tell it's going to be a beautiful slab and it's a table all on its own, then well, yeah, obviously. So especially if the slab is big enough to be a tabletop by itself, that that's where you're going to get into trouble. (laughs) Then they know you think it's just a tabletop. But like if you think about you know uh, Paul up there, the Canadian woodworker, you know he writes dimensions all across his his slabs that's something that you would would really want to look for because then they're aware of the board feet that are in that slab mm-hmm. and, and that's that's a that's a good sign that they're pricing it in in that way the the hobbyists might not think about that they're just going to go well there's there's a pile there let's go 100 bucks a slab on up right and you know so go in educated know what you want to spend and roughly know what the prices are that that you're you're hunting for you know, know what your average board foot of species is, because um, that that will that will help you greatly. And there's a lot of literature out there on on the interwebs. Yeah, absolutely. What I do is um, I just call a couple lumberyards and I get their prices, and then you know I know roughly what I should be paying for wood per per board foot in my area. You know, based on species, because obviously. You know, eight quarter walnut's gonna be a hell of a lot more expensive than eight quarter poplar. Right. Should be. 
Yeah, well, it should be. <laughs> if you could find, if you could find a place where it's not, buy it all there. <laughs> well, one only one direction. <laughs> yeah, well, right where it's you know walnut is popular prices, but you won't find that. <laughs> no, no. And if you do, beware. Or There's buy it all. Probably a reason. <laughs> but that, yeah, yeah. Buy it all and do what you can with it. So, well, that's I think about it for for buying lumber uh, we you know, talked we, a long time about buying lumber yeah well you know it's it's a hot topic you know so you want to make sure it's dry you want to make sure you you're looking for bug damage or bugs uh you know it's great if you can find out how long something's been sitting and or how it's been dried mm-hmm. uh and go in there educated with with the board footage or not just board footage but prices per bird foot and and know what you want. Uh, those are all very important aspects. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd say the biggest takeaway is uh, don't just walk into a lumberyard without having pre-educated yourself. There's two things you should always take to a lumberyard. A tape measure and a moisture meter. And your wallet. Well, I guess if you want to buy stuff. <laughs> That's why you're usually there. But I mean, they should have their wallet if they're driving there anyway. Otherwise, they're driving without their license. Maybe. Breaking the law. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So I think that's going to take us up to uh, this week's rendition of Deal Steals and Things That Will Make You Drool. Hit me. I'm hitting you. So, new on the Infinity cutting tools is they have a narex premium cabinet scraper kit so it comes with a burnisher a small scraper package and a cabinet scrape which is slightly different looks really cool really handy for those that are just getting into scraping uh it's a nice nice little kit uh you can buy them all individually of course uh or the whole kit for $50. So in this, there is the burnisher. There are three different cabinet scrapers. And there is a diamond cross 5-1 diamond file. Which is 300 and 600 grit. So cool. it's a nice whole little setup there. Uh, which is pretty sweet. Uh, this month, Woodcraft has switched places with Rockler. And is now got their dust collection hose clamps and fittings on sale. So they're just going back and forth with dust collection. So no matter what, you could always probably find something dust collection on sale between the two of them. Well, that's uh, okay. But they got a whole lot up for 25% off. Uh, Rockler is doing a Founder's Day sale. Uh, you know, in typical Rockler fashion, a whole lot of Rockler things on sale. Let's see here. Grizzly is doing a metalworking accessory sale up to 65% Mm. off on accessories, tooling, chucks, arbors, all sorts of metalworking devices. In addition, they have started to advertise their 2019 tent sale. If you are not familiar with a Grizzly tent sale... They happen in their Washington uh, shop and their Springfield, Missouri shop. 
Springfield, Missouri, I think does it twice a year. Washington may only do it once. Maybe they do it twice. So in Washington, it's May 4th. Uh, Missouri is June 8th and September 14th. And basically what they do is they clean house on as is items, dented items, one of a kind items, scratched and samples. So you can basically just go there and and get leftovers of things that they might not sell anymore or returned or were dented, damaged, uh, all sorts of things. Uh, If I had my way, I think a workshop review might head there on June. (laughs) Oh, you think so? I would love it. What what are we going to go buy, Brandon? Uh, You know, one of everything wouldn't be terrible. You're right. It wouldn't. We might have to take a trailer. Anyway, in addition, Grizzly has released a new dust collector. This is the Grizzly GO861 two-horsepower portable cyclone dust collector, and it looks beautiful. Uh, It looks very similar to the one to the Laguna brand that Mr. Cremona recently put in his garage this actually this past year. Uh, so if you're familiar with that style, you know, it's got the, the canister air filter on the side, the quick release. Um, and yeah, so that you want to guess how much that is? Uh, well, we're talking grizzly, so I'm going to say between, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me tell you more. It also has a remote start. Okay, uh, 1200 That is a very good guess. $975. Dang. So yeah. originally, originally I was going to say between 8 and 12. But yeah, that's, you get a, that's nice. That's really nice. I like Grizzly. I, I mean, it, it has a, let's see here, 1,023 CFM. Um, I mean, it looks like a, a really solid dust collector, um, just under 400 pounds. You know, it does things like it sucks. Well, hopefully it's made no, in it's, it's seven inches and then it breaks out to, uh, three something. I don't, I have to look up where, the, what those ones are. They look like four inch. I would I would like to uh upgrade my dust collector sometime. I would too. I would too. I'm definitely gonna go with the grizzly. Like I already know that, but just a matter of doing it. Other things on my plate, but that's definitely on the list. Yeah. And a new bandsaw. Mm. Yeah. They they were on sale recently too. So anyway, that is it. Oh nope, that's not it. I lied. There were a Got few a other more. things. Well, I got two more. There is a giveaway if you are following Armor Tools. They are doing a 30,000 follower giveaway. So check them out. At hashtag Armor Tool on Instagram. They are going to give away their auto jig pocket hole system. Which is a really beefy version of the Craig jig. It, it actually, like, it, it has way more involved uh, on it than, than I thought you could do with a pocket hole. Um, and finally, a little shout-out and giveaway to the Green Woodworker. He had his 100th episode this past Friday. Donnie Carter. So congratulations, Donnie. What a 
spell it has been. That's awesome. 100 episodes. And to celebrate this 100 episodes, he is doing a huge giveaway. You want to talk about it, Brian? Yeah, sure. So if you're not familiar with the Greenwood Worker podcast, he usually, well, almost always has a guest on and they're, you know, a woodworker or metalworker or glass blower, you know, some sort of maker. And he's gone back there and he's contacted all of these people that have been on his show and asked them to contribute to his giveaway. So he's got five different um, giveaway packages. Uh, one of them consists of a bunch of like swag and merchandise from all these creators. So t-shirts, hats, stickers, that kind of stuff. And we're talking like 20 or 30 makers worth of swag in one package. So whoever wins that package gets you know, 20 or 30 shirts, 20 or 30 hats, stick, you know, that type of deal. The next one is stuff that has been made by these makers. So the next package winner gets, you know, 20 or 30 handmade things by these people who have been on his show. That one's pretty cool, I think. Um, and then he's got a couple of companies on board. Uh, one is Tools Today. They're going to give away like some router bits and things like that. Uh, Bessie's on board. They're going to give away some clamps. And I believe the other one is Micro Jig. Uh, they're going to give away some dovetail clamps. So um, pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I like it. I dig it. And, um, you know, it's it's really cool to see, you know, a community effort like that. Um you know, all of these people coming together for Donnie's 100th episode. So I think that's pretty cool. So go over and check that out and um, enter to, you know, hopefully win some cool stuff. Right on, right on. Now, and you know, we're also giving something away, Brandon. Yes, we are. We're giving away Lake Erie Tools Mox Advice. Yes, that is so, true. Uh, this whole month of February, this giveaway is running if you've been living under a rock and you're not aware of it. Um, so go check out our YouTube channel, Workshop Review. Watch our review of the Lake Erie Toolworks Mox Advice. Decide if it's something you want for yourself. You do. Trust us. You want it. Um, and then enter the giveaway and uh, you get you get your choice. You get a choice between the full-size Moxon vise or the light version. Full-size has 24 inches between the screws, so that's your capacity. The light version has 14 inches between the screws. And uh, they're rock solid. Like, they are awesome vices. So uh, workshop review over on Instagram. Well, yeah, on Instagram. But uh, you'll find the review and the links to the giveaway uh, on uh, YouTube. Um, and... Just so y'all are aware, that's going to end real soon. So by the time this is posted, you're going to have a week left. Time is running out. And um, it's been a pretty popular giveaway, as it should be. So, um, you know, if you're not entered, make sure you go and enter because you want this thing. Um, speaking of this one almost ending, Brandon, should we tease next month's a little bit? Yes. I think that we, would that would be a sharp thing to do. What are we going to give away in review next month, Brandon? We are mm, not going to give it away completely, but I'm going to tell you that we have been working with. Oh, you will. Fine, I'll you do it, it. I'll give it away. All right. Um, every woodworker needs to sharpen, right? And you need to sharpen 
quickly and accurately. And uh, we're going to give away a workshop WS3000. Um, I've been and who using makes one. That? Worksharp. Worksharp. I've been using one for years in my shop, uh, at least, geez, four or five years. Um, I love it. It's how I sharpen. It's super fast. It's super clean. So be on the lookout for that starting next month. It's a great way to sharpen your tools. I look right. forward to it. So, Brandon, uh, where can people find you out there on the Internet? Well, they can find me at the Marshall's Wood Shop on Instagram and on YouTube. And I promise at some point I will post another video to YouTube. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You, you're, you're a podcaster now. You don't have to make videos. It's fine. Oh, is that how that works? <laughs> All right. Oh, to some. When? <laughs> uh, you can find us, the Workshop Review, like we said, on Instagram or on YouTube. Uh, just search for Workshop Review. And um, tell some friends because, I mean, we're giving tools away here, guys. Like, tell people about this. It's a good thing. And uh, you can find me on YouTube, Macaulay's Design, or on Instagram, Macaulay's Design. And one more reminder about Patreon. Uh, go and sign up and uh, win yourself some some brand swag. Like I said, this month, uh, it's a t-shirt from Lake Erie Toolworks. Um, we're going to try to get something specifically to give away to our patrons from every brand that we work with. Can't guarantee it, but, um, you know, if they're giving away a tool, what, what's a shirt and a hat really. So, um, I can't imagine that we wouldn't be able to do that pretty much every month as well. So, uh, with that, what, go build something, right? Oh, I was going to say go mox in your vice, but they would have you to can... win it first. You, you could mox in your... Do that next month. Mox oh, in your oh, vice next right, month. Right. Uh, until then, go build something without your new mox advice. Or sharpen your sword. Oh, wait, you can't do that yet either. Can't do that yet either. All right, go build something. Fine. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you later, Brandon. All righty. Later. <laughs>